I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 19. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible under the row of chairs in front of you. If you can grab a Bible, we're going to be in Revelation 19, verses 1 to 10 for our time together this morning. Throughout this season of Advent, we have been looking at the series of songs for a Savior found in the Gospel of Luke. We've looked at the Song of Mary, the Song of Zechariah, the Song of the Angels, the Song of Simeon. And then last night for the Christmas Eve service, we looked at the Song of Anna, which isn't exactly a song, although it does say that she gave thanks to God. And so I'm inclined to think that she sang to the Lord when she saw the baby Jesus. But this morning, we're going to be looking at one more song, the song of the redeemed, the song of those who have embraced Christ as Savior and Lord. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along with me as I read for us from Revelation 19, beginning in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. From the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. For I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God bless the reading of his word. There are two, quote unquote, women pictured here near the end of Revelation. There is the licentious prostitutes, which represents all manner of Spiritual, uh, spiritual unfaithfulness and idolatry. And there is the spotless bride, which represents the redeemed people of God. 
And these two women face two radically different outcomes. First, the inhabitants of the earth in Babylon, they cry out three times in Revelation 18, alas, alas. Babylon here represents the total culture of the world apart from God. This human civilization that the people of the earth have trusted in for prosperity and safety has fallen. But then, in contrast to the great prostitute, this bride, this great multitude, in Revelation 19, they sing out four times, Hallelujah! It's a totally different response to a totally different outcome. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word. Hallelujah means praise and Yah is a short form of Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God. In other words, hallelujah means praise the Lord. The lament over Babylon has turned into the praise of God's people. This loud voice of a great multitude in heaven in verse 1 also stands in stark contrast to the silence recorded at the end of Revelation 18, where everything on the earth is hushed. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeteers, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. There is silence on the earth. But then it's like the song, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, right? Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Suddenly the silence on earth is shattered by the deafening praise of God's people in heaven. And you can See the praise building. In verse 1, it begins with a loud voice of a great multitude. Then in verse 3, they're crying out. Then in verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they join the refrain. Then in verse 6, everything comes to a, a climax as the voice of the great multitude is not simply a loud voice, but is like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder like the sound of Niagara Falls or the sound of a thunderstorm on a summer evening is the deafening sound of God's people singing praises to the Lord. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. Notice what God's people are singing about, what they are Rejoicing over what they are praising God for. It's salvation. Right, last Sunday I mentioned that salvation is the theme of each one of these songs that we've looked at in the Gospel of Luke. And here again, salvation is the theme. This great multitude is singing about God, how God has saved them. How God has saved his people in the destruction of his and our 
enemies. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, what kind of Christmas message is this? That we're talking about judgment on Christmas Day. Shouldn't we be talking about the baby who was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago? That's exactly what we're doing. But we must understand that Jesus is more than just the baby in the manger. He is the king of the universe who came to save his people from their sins and who is coming a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews 9 verse 28 says. This is... uh, similar to what we read about in Joshua chapter 21, where after God's people take possession of the land that God promised to them, Joshua 21 verse 44 says that the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. This is the good news being sung in heaven by this great multitude, that God's people finally have rest from their enemies. We we have the tendency to, to get embarrassed whenever the topic of God's judgment comes up in conversation, but there's nothing embarrassing about God's judgment to those who are rejoicing in heaven. No, his judgments are true and they are just. Look at verse two, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Again, they cry out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. One day, Babylon will fall and righteousness will triumph. These days, it might not feel like that is possible, but it will happen. One day the wrong shall fail and the right shall prevail. Babylon's material assets, her political power, her seductive allure, her global following, all of it will come to an end when Jesus comes in judgment. No more will Babylon rise to tempt and trouble and torment God's people again. The Lord will finally and forever remove the one whose sole purpose was to draw humanity away from their God. The Lord will avenge the blood of the saints that has been spilled over the centuries. That's why there is rejoicing in heaven. They are praising God for his defeat of his and their enemies. All of this brings us to the next section on the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at verses 6 to 8. John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
Because God has dealt with his and our enemies, God's people can begin to anticipate and prepare for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a day of rejoicing because Christ and his church are finally coming together. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. In Jewish tradition, a wedding had three stages. First, the two families would agree to the union and negotiate a dowry or an appropriate bride price. They would then make a public announcement, which would serve as the official beginning of the engagement period, and which was so binding that it could only be negated through death or divorce. This engagement lasted for at least a year, and during that time, the groom would prepare a place for the bride, and the bride would prepare herself for her groom. Today, a, a bride works hard to prepare herself for her groom. She may diet, she may buy a flattering dress, she may spend a small fortune on makeup and hairstyling. She'll enlist a team of bridesmaids whose sole purpose is to make the bride look her most beautiful for this day. When she walks down the aisle, everyone stands and looks at her. When she gets to the altar, her attendants make sure that her dress is fanned out in a certain way. Why is there all of this fussing over the bride? Because she is the center of attention. Everyone wants to see the bride at the wedding. And in the same way, everyone's attention is on this bride in Revelation 19. This bride was chosen before the creation of the world. Throughout the Old Testament, the wedding was announced. The Son of God took on human flesh and he paid the bride price on the cross to make the marriage possible. So that we who believe in Jesus are to prepare ourselves and to make ourselves our most beautiful for our room while we wait for him to return for his bride. Now in verse 7, you'll notice that it says that the bride has made herself ready. What does that mean? Does it mean that we can somehow earn our salvation? Does it, does it mean that we are redeemed by, by what we do? No, because look at the next line in verse 8. It says it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. She does not provide these for herself. They are provided for her. God himself has provided the wedding clothes for the bride. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, the prophet Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The Lord is the one who gives us our garments to wear. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a parable of a man who was cast out into the outer darkness 
because he didn't show up to the wedding in wedding garments. We need wedding clothes. But not just any wedding clothes. We need the wedding clothes that are supplied by Christ. The wedding clothes that the Apostle Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says that Christ cleanses his bride and presents her to himself without spot or wrinkle or, or blemish or any such thing. That's what we need. We need those wedding clothes. But there's a rightful tension here between divine sovereignty and human responsibility, isn't there? We see something similar to this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, where the Apostle Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right, so on the one hand, we must actively and willingly pursue holiness. That's not really negotiable. Yet all the while acknowledging that it's God's grace that even makes this pursuit of holiness possible. Our, our right standing before God is something that he accomplishes on our behalf. We look beautiful because he has made us beautiful. Now, if we're honest, followers of Jesus are, are not always beautiful. The church is not always beautiful. There have been people who have been hurt by followers of Jesus over the years. But here in our text, this bride is beautiful. She is clothed with fine linen, which represents the righteous deeds of the saints. And so the way in which we, we get ready is by living a life of holiness. But, but this life of holiness is not the cause of our acceptance before God. Rather, it is showing that we have been accepted by God. In other words, God isn't saying, you are beautiful, therefore I will accept you. No, God is saying, I've accepted you on the basis of my son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, you are beautiful. Do you see the difference? And so in one sense, we, we must avoid the error of thinking that we produce these righteous deeds in our own power and ability we, we, we must be ready, but even the ability to get ready is a gift of God. But then we must also avoid the error of thinking that we don't need to produce any righteous deeds at all. We can just live however we want. As we approach a new year, we should be asking ourselves, or better yet, we should be asking people around us, Am I more like Christ than I was this time last year? Am I more like Christ this time than, than I was this time last year? And what this should do is it should cause us to spend time looking into the mirror of God's word and allow it to expose the areas in our lives 
that still need to be made bright and pure by Christ. Because that's, that's what, what the Bible does. It's a mirror that exposes the imperfections in us. And so what I, what do I, what I do every new year is I promote a Bible reading plan. And if you are not daily reading through the Bible, I encourage you to do so. It's, it's one of the ways the Lord uses to make us ready for the marriage of the Lamb. And what I've done is I printed off some, some copies of, of Bible reading plans on the, the back table there. There are also some Bible reading plans on our, on our website. And I encourage you to, to check them out. And, and if you get bogged down by the workload, because I know that can be, I, can, I know that can happen, don't sweat it. Because honestly, we, we just need to start reading the word of God. Just read it. Even if it's just, it's just a little bit each day, we need to read it. We need to familiarize ourselves with it. We, we must not go another year without picking up God's word. Because it is the words of life. We must not think for a second that we are not responsible for preparing ourselves for the coming of our groom. He is coming. The question is, will he find us ready? In his grace, God clothes the bride of Christ, which causes her to be beautiful and to do beautiful deeds. Since we've been clothed, what will we now do with it? Look at verse 9. There's a brief postscript where the angel says to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then the angel says, these are the true words of God. So who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, it's those who have responded to the gospel, those who have repented of their sin, who have trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, and who have received the gift of salvation. They have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. They have been seated at the table of the Lamb. And this invitation is sure. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so how does John respond to, to such a glorious word? Look at verse 10. John writes, And I fell down on his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John knows better than to, to worship angels. But in this moment, John needs to worship. The angel directs John to the rightful worship of God, but John has the right idea. Worship, adoration, praise, wonder, this this is the response of those who have been confronted with the gospel. 
Those who have been set free from the, the seductive power of the great prostitutes by the grace and mercy of God. Those who have been clothed with fine linen. Those whose beauty is shown in God's redeeming grace. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done for broken sinners like us. Is it any wonder the great multitude in heaven worshipped and praised the Lord? Our challenge is to look past the presence and the celebrations and the jolly man in a red suit. And we must see Jesus and why he came. What better reason to sing than this? That the Savior was born to live, to die, and to rise again to fix what sin had broken. It was interesting in this, uh, in our Advent devotional this morning by uh, Paul David Tripp. He talked about singing, which I thought was rather fitting. And so I figured I'd, I'd read what he, what he had here because I thought it, it fit well with this message. He says, the angels sang when Jesus came, but they're not the only ones who sing. We human beings sing. We can't stop singing. Children sing and old men sing. People from every period of history sang. People from every place of every race and of every ethnicity sing. If you listen carefully, you will notice that we tend to sing about what has captured our hearts. We sing about what makes us sad. We sing about what makes us happy. We sing about people we love. We sing about our hopes and dreams. We sing about what's important to us. We sing silly songs about what makes us laugh. We sing about what makes us angry. We sing songs of love, exhortation, comfort, and warning. There's probably not a day in your life where you haven't sung or haven't heard a song. We sing. The question is, what song has your heart? Could there be any more important song than the song the angels sang of the birth of the one who came as the hope of humanity? The song of the angels should make your heart sing. And may the songs of Jesus written since then capture your heart, not only during this Christmas season, but every day of your life. Let the words of these songs about the birth of Jesus sink into your heart in a new way today. And may they help your heart to find rest and satisfaction in the person, work, and presence of Jesus. What song captures your heart? goes on to say, there, there's nothing more wonderful to sing about than the birth of the one who came to earth to give us new life. And it's this song that we will sing about with that great multitude in heaven.
several years ago, the band Newsboys came out with a song called He Reigns. Its words remind us that Christians around the world worship and praise a powerful and forgiving God. Here are the lyrics. It's the song of the redeemed rising from the African plain. It's the song of the forgiven drowning out the Amazon rain. The song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born of a grateful choir. It's all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. It's all God's children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. Let it rise above the four winds, caught up in the heavenly sound. Let praises echo from the towers of cathedrals to the faithful gathered underground. Of all the songs sung from the dawn of creation, some were meant to persist. Of all the bells rung from a thousand steeples, none rings truer than this. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. And all the powers of darkness tremble at what they've just heard. Because all the powers of darkness can't drown out a single word. When all God's children sing out, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. It's all God's children singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. If we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, there is coming a day when we shall see his power and his majesty and when we will join our voices with the voices of the great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation and when we will sing hallelujah for the Lord our God the almighty reigns. Oh church, may we look forward to that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful picture of the gospel. May its beauty and glory sink into our hearts. That we would worship you, bow our knee to you, and praise you for your marvelous grace. That you would even extend to the likes of us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the love that you have extended to us. Help us to leave here and be part of extending that tremendous love and that tremendously beautiful gospel to those around us who are right now, like we were, blind and seduced. Give us boldness for this task in the coming year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.